0: Learn to Lead, Chapter 4, The Cadet NCO and the Team. Chapter Outline. In this chapter, you will learn about Section 1, Introduction, Professionalism, Standards, Section 2, The Non-Commissioned Officer, Responsibilities and the NCO, NCO Readiness, Section 3, The NCO's Leadership Toolkit, Servant Leadership, Coaching and Mentoring, Supervision and Constructive Discipline, Motivation, the NCO officer relationship, section four, team dynamics, the team environment, the team's life cycle, the lead model, section five, drill and ceremonies.
1: Chapter Goals. One, understand the role of the NCO and appreciate the importance of professionalism. Two, describe leadership principles of concern to first-line supervisors. Three, develop an understanding of team dynamics. Section one. Introduction.
2: Professionalism is not the job you do, but how you do it. When there are new recruits to train, the armed services turn to the non-commissioned officer corps. Indeed, NCOs are experts in drill, the uniform, and fitness, but even more, their professionalism makes a lasting impression. Air Force pilots know their aircraft are mission-ready because they trust in the professionalism of the NCOs who maintain them. When a fighter jet is low on fuel, It will be an NCO committed to an ideal of professionalism who refuels it from an altitude of 30,000 feet. Even when the Air Force needs to transform officer trainees into lieutenants, the NCO's professionalism makes them ready for the challenge. Professionalism Objectives 1. Explain what professionalism is 2. Defend the idea that leaders must be professionals A leader is a professional. A leader strives to conduct himself or herself with a special quality called professionalism. What does this mean? In the everyday sense of the word, a professional is simply someone who is paid for their work. In truth, professionalism requires much more. First, professionals must have a habit of putting the community's interest above their own. The core value of volunteer service shows that CAP members think of themselves as professionals. Second, a professional is someone who has special skills. Their knowledge, experience, and competence in their field set them apart from others. Third, professionals hold themselves and their peers to an ethical code. They practice their profession in a way that respects moral principles. Leaders, especially military officers and non-commissioned officers, believe they meet all three criteria. Therefore, they strive to lead by example and display that special quality called professionalism. Standards Objective 3 explain what a standard is standards the best leaders have high standards at a luxury hotel you can expect to receive a high standard of service a friend may tell you not to buy a certain kind of car if its quality is substandard michael phelps set a new standard for athleticism by winning seven gold medals at the olympics we often speak of high standards and low standards what is a standard a standard is an established requirement a principle by which something can be judged. Put simply, a standard is like a yardstick or benchmark. Standards let people know what is expected of them. They help people understand what counts as acceptable or inferior work.
3: The sentinels who stand before the tomb of the unknown soldier live by a creed. Its sixth line instructs them on the old guard's standard. It reads, My standard will remain perfection.
2: It is vital that leaders set clear standards and communicate them to the team. In the military, Standards are found in regulations, in special documents called technical orders, and in training manuals. Commanders can also establish standards orally, simply by declaring them to the team. Often, teams set their own informal, unofficial standards, the unwritten rules teammates must follow to be accepted by the group. Even more importantly, how a leader acts sets the standard. The leader's example is the most important standard of all. Not always black and white, Standards can vary depending on the situation. For example, your parents may allow you to dress casually for dinner, but if special guests are visiting, perhaps that standard is raised. Wise leaders learn how to make standards meaningful without allowing them to become so inflexible as to be impractical. Standards give leaders a way to express to the team what is expected from them.
1: Professionalism in action Some examples of how you can show your professionalism Checking your uniform and your airmen's uniforms frequently Sending a thank you note to someone who went out of their way to help you.
4: Re-reading a chapter you studied long ago before teaching it to new cadets.
1: Telling a fellow cadet that what she posted online is inappropriate. Using
4: downtime in a bivouac to check your gear before a hike.
1: Surfing the web for helpful tips on public speaking or some other leadership topic your weekend.
2: Section 2, the non-commissioned officer. Objectives: 4. Discuss the challenge of transitioning from airman to NCO. 5. Describe seven major responsibilities of the NCO. Air Force non commissioned officers epitomize the core values. They have several duties, but if one is more important than the rest, it is this to lead by example. The challenge for the cadet NCO is to carry on this tradition. Making the switch from airman to surgeon can be difficult. It involves transitioning from one who is cared for to one who cares for others from one who was taught to one who teaches. Further, in the military, NCOs have authority to issue lawful orders to their people. As one expert said, rank does not confer privilege or give power. It imposes responsibility.
5: Creed, a formal system of belief intended to guide someone's actions.
3: Creed of the non-commissioned officer. There is no creed officially adopted by the U.S. Air Force for its NCOs, but the creed below is widely accepted and is based upon a creed used by the U.S. Army. No one is more professional than I. I am a non-commissioned officer, a leader of people. I am proud of the non-commissioned officer corps and will at all times conduct myself so as to bring credit upon it. I will not use my grade or position to attain profit or safety. Competence is my watchword. I will strive to remain tactically and technically proficient. I will always be aware of my role as a non-commissioned officer. I will fulfill my responsibilities and display professionalism at all times. I will strive to know my people and use their skills to the maximum degree possible. I will always place their needs above my own and will communicate with my supervisor and my people and never leave them uninformed. I will exert every effort and risk any ridicule to successfully accomplish my assigned duties. I will not look at a person and see any race, creed, color, religion, sex, age, or national origin, for I will only see the person. Nor will I ever show prejudice or bias. I will lead by example and will resort to disciplinary action only when necessary. I will carry out the orders of my superiors to the best of my ability and will always obey the decisions of my superiors. I will give all officers my maximum support to ensure mission accomplishment. I will earn their respect, obey their orders, and establish a high degree of integrity with them. I will exercise initiative in the absence of orders and will make decisive and accurate decisions. I will never compromise my integrity, nor my moral courage. I will not forget that I am a professional, a leader, but above all a non-commissioned officer.
2: Responsibility and the NCO What are the responsibilities of the non-commissioned officer? Epitomize the core values. NCOs must show by example that they are truly committed to integrity, service, excellence, and respect. They are charged with demonstrating superb military bearing, respect for authority, and the highest standards of dress and appearance.
5: Military Bearing How those in uniform carry themselves Bearing includes physical posture, mental attitude, how faithfully customs and courtesies are rendered, etc.
2: Guide, instruct, and mentor The NCO is a first-line supervisor, someone who ensures the junior members of a team accomplish the mission. To do that, they generously share their experience and knowledge. Support the leader Although NCOs are leaders by virtue of their seniority, they still have bosses of their own. NCOs back up their leaders by enthusiastically supporting, explaining, and promoting their leaders' decisions.
5: First-line supervisor, a leader who oversees entry-level people, the lowest-ranking member of leadership staff.
2: Reward people. As the leader who is working closest with the troops, the NCO has a duty to recognize the hard work of people on their team. When they catch people doing things right, they praise them and point to them as role models. Correct People Because a leader's first duty is to accomplish the mission if an NCO sees someone going about their job in the wrong way, he or she steps in and corrects the person in a helpful way. This also means NCOs speak up when they spot a safety hazard. The NCO Corps takes their duty to protect airmen's safety very seriously. Career Counsel NCOs use their wealth of experience to help airmen through career counseling. NCOs tell airmen what opportunities are available to them in their organization, be it the Air Force or CAP. They steer their people toward activities that will help them advance and meet their personal goals. Keep learning. As a professional, the NCO is continuously trying to learn more about their specialty or career field. For cadet NCOs, this means learning more about leadership, aerospace, fitness, and character in addition to the academic subjects they are studying at school. NCO Readiness Objectives. 5. Identify the Air Force's three requirements for NCO readiness. 6. Give examples of how Air Force NCO readiness standards apply to CAP cadets. How made NCOs prepare to fulfill their many responsibilities? The Air Force identifies three areas of readiness. Technical readiness. First, NCOs must be technically ready to accomplish the mission. This relates back to the Leader as expert section in the previous chapter. The Air Force rightly insists that NCOs know the details of their job. What is the mission? How do we perform those tasks? What are the standards? How do we know if we've done a good job? What does the regulation require? These are some of the questions NCOs ask themselves to ensure they have the technical know-how to lead others. Physical readiness Second, NCOs must be physically ready to accomplish the mission. If a leader is not healthy, he or she could hinder the team instead of helping it. Because of this requirement, NCOs are traditionally the ones who lead their units in fitness training. Again, leadership by example is expected. If NCOs do not exercise regularly and meet fitness standards, who else will? Mental readiness. Third, if an NCO's mind is not totally focused on their professional duties, the mission will suffer. This requires NCOs to effectively manage their stress, as discussed in Chapter 2. Mental readiness includes having healthy attitudes towards school and home life. It means being alert for signs of drug abuse and depression, for example, talk of suicide, in oneself and others. Cadet NCOs can show a commitment to mental readiness by promoting the wingman concept, see Chapter 2, and reaching out for adult help when life seems to be spinning out of control.
0: The Chief Master Sergeant of the United States Air Force The Chief Master Sergeant of the U.S. Air Force represents the highest enlisted level of leadership. He or she provides direction for the enlisted corps and represents their interests to the American public and to leaders in all levels of government. Specifically, the Chief serves as the personal advisor to the Air Force Chief of Staff, a four-star general, and the Secretary of the Air Force, a civilian appointed by the President, on all issues regarding the welfare readiness morale and proper utilization and progress of the enlisted force because the job calls for a leader of immense professionalism the chief master sergeant of the air force is deeply respected by all airmen enlisted members and officers alike
2: section 3 the nco's leadership toolkit servant leadership objectives 7 define servant leadership 8 Discuss why leaders should be servants first and leaders second. 9. Give examples of servant leadership in action. 10. Defend the idea that servant leadership is consistent with Air Force values. Leadership is not about controlling people, but serving them. This is one of the core beliefs of a leadership philosophy known as servant leadership. Simply defined, servant leadership is when the leader sees himself or herself primarily as a servant of the team. The goal of servant leadership is to enhance the growth of individuals in the organization and increase teamwork and personal involvement. The leadership theorist who first coined the term servant leadership introduced it as follows.
5: The servant leader is servant first. It begins with a natural feeling that one wants to serve, to serve first. Then a willful choice brings one to aspire to lead. That person is sharply different from one who is leader first, perhaps because of a need to fulfill an unusual power drive, or to acquire material possessions.
1: To serve or to be servile, a servant chooses to help people and is giving. Anybody can serve, so anybody can lead, even our youngest cadets. But being servile, on the other hand, means to be treated like a slave. While others enjoy a life of leisure, your work never ends. Leaders choose to serve because they realize there's nothing demeaning about being a servant.
2: Servant leadership and the NCO. Earlier in this chapter, we discussed the challenge of switching from airman to NCO, from one who is cared for to one who cares for others. Servant leadership is an important concept for new NCOs because it can help them make that transition. It is easy for new leaders to become arrogant, to show off their rank and delight in bossing people around. Do people who are full of themselves inspire you or turn you off? So much of what we think we know about leadership is based on old concepts of power, not on the leader's potential to help individual people and the team succeed. Servant leadership, then, is the new leader's vaccine against becoming self-centered or a bully. It focuses the new leader on the needs of the team. Examples of Servant Leadership For example, an NCO informed by the idea of servant leadership will not use his or her rank to take a position first in line to eat, but rather will eat only after the team has been fed. The airmen come first. When conducting a uniform inspection, the servant leader's goal will be to help each individual meet CAP's high standards, not try to intimidate the airmen or play gotcha. Servant leadership is not about a personal quest for power, prestige, or material rewards. The history of Christianity gives us a famous example of servant leadership that aspiring leaders from all backgrounds can appreciate. In the Bible, Jesus tells the apostles, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you the apostles. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and, whoever wishes to be first among you, must be slave of all. Servant Leadership in the Military In an organization that has a top-down hierarchy, like the military with its formal chain of command, is it possible for rank to be emphasized too much? The I order you to approach is easy to take when a leader literally has the power to imprison those who disobey. Pulling rank is often seen as a lazy, immature, and counterproductive way to lead. Proponents of servant leadership would advise military officers and NCOs to see themselves as servants first and authoritarian commanders last. A proper reading of the NCO creed says as much as does the core value service before self. Therefore, servant leadership and the idea of caring which it is built upon is a natural fit for the Air Force. Caring bonds us together, according to a former chief master sergeant of the Air Force. When caring is lacking, mission failure is a very real possibility. Air Force newspapers are filled with essays from commanders endorsing servant leadership. Not only is servant leadership a wise approach to leading, everyone has the potential to be a servant leader. As Martin Luther King once said, Everybody can be great because everybody can serve.
5: The new definition of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's the new definition of greatness. This morning, the thing I like about it by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know about Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know about the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. You can be that servant. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr.
1: The Leader, the Worker, and the Bystander Picture a country road leading through a wilderness to a river. A dozen soldiers are trying to build a bridge, but there are not enough men for such a challenging task. It's 1776, and the Revolutionary War is underway. Now comes on a beautiful stallion an impressive, serious-looking man. There is something powerful about the way he carries himself. He commands respect. You don't have enough men for the job, do you? Ask the man on horseback. No, we don't. Answers the lieutenant in charge of the work detail. The men will need a lot more help if we are to finish the bridge on time. I see, replies the man on horseback. Well, why aren't you helping them? You are just standing back and watching them work. That, sir, is because I am an officer, snaps the lieutenant. I lead, I don't do. Indeed, the man on horseback then dismounts, tosses aside his hat, and rolls up his sleeves. He labors with the men under the hot sun for several hours until at last, drenched in sweat, he proclaims the job done. Lieutenant, says the man as he mounts his horse and prepares to depart, the next time you have too much work and not enough men, the next time you are too important or high-ranking or proud to work, send for the commander-in-chief and I will come again.
2: It was General Washington. Coaching and Mentoring Objectives 11. Define Coaching 12. Explain how coaching relates to servant leadership. 13. Discuss the elements of successful coaching. 14. Give examples of some techniques to use during coaching's dialogue phase. In Chapter 2, we discussed mentoring, how your mentor can help you and how as an aspiring leader you need to become mentor-ready. The next step is to consider mentoring or coaching, as we'll call it in this chapter, from the perspective of the leader. Coaching Defined In leadership, coaching is the process through which leaders try to solve performance problems and develop their people. Coaching is a person-to-person experience, a relationship between an experienced person, the leader or coach, and an inexperienced person, the follower or coachee. Experts in the field of coaching borrow principles of servant leadership by teaching that coaching requires a bond of trust. If it's not positive and helpful, it's not coaching. Coaching is all about providing someone with guidance and support because a good coach is a servant. The Need for Coaching When does someone require coaching? Anytime a leader identifies a need to help someone reach a higher level of effectiveness. Perhaps an airman is having trouble executing an about-face, or a basketball player cannot let go of a feeling that she was fouled and now her anger is getting the best of her. When someone struggles to reach a new level of excellence, that might mean it's time for coaching. Elements of Successful Coaching What does successful coaching look like? There are four key elements. Dialogue Coaching is marked by dialogue, a two-way conversation between the coach and the trainee. The coach talks with and listens to the coachee to try to understand what is blocking that person from succeeding. Once again, the principles of active listening discussed in Chapter 2 come into play. Empowerment One assumption about coaching is that people learn more when they figure things out for themselves. Empowerment occurs when the person who has all the answers resists the urge to jump in and fix someone's problem for them. Instead, the coach chooses to help that person discover the solution on their own. As the old saying goes, give a person a fish and they eat for a day. Teach them how to fish and they feed themselves for a lifetime. Action. The dialogue between coach and coachee must produce something. Talk is meaningless unless followed by action. The coach's goal is to get the trainee to act to try to do something differently and thereby solve the problem. Improvement Ultimately, the goal of coaching is to help the coachee reach a higher level of effectiveness. Coaching is successful if there is some sign of improvement or progress. If a cadet reduces the number of gigs from 8 to 1 on their uniform inspection, the coaching worked. If the cyclist's top speed declines by 5 miles per hour, the coaching failed.
3: Facta non verba It's Latin for deeds, not words. Coaching is successful if there is some sign of improvement. Talk is cheap. At the end of the day, the trainee has to perform. General Patton understood this when he said, I'm a soldier, I fight where I'm told, and I win where I fight.
2: Techniques of Successful Coaching How do leaders go about coaching someone? Continuing the discussion begun in Chapter 3, we see that coaching, and the whole of leadership, is partly an art because it takes imagination. Coaching requires creative thinking. Coaching also has a scientific aspect because it's based on a study of human behavior. There seems to be a process to coaching that when followed produces results that are somewhat predictable. Observation Coaching begins with observation. Leaders need to watch how their people perform. The best way to gain an understanding of someone's strengths and weaknesses is through direct observation. For the NCO, this means paying close attention to each cadet's performance on the drill pad, in the classroom, during uniform inspections and like purpose second before beginning a dialogue with the coachee the coach needs to be clear about the purpose of that discussion rather than shooting from the hip the coach should enter the dialogue having a plan of the many observations you've made about a particular cadet's performance which one or two do you want to focus on what is the coachee doing well which issues are most important what will be the consequences if the coachee does not fix the performance problems the coach must be ready to lead the dialogue. Dialogue. Third is the dialogue itself. The dialogue is at the very center of coaching. There are several tactics a coach can use to lead a good dialogue. Mirroring. The coach uses words to paint a picture of the coachee's behavior. Figuratively speaking, he holds a mirror up to the trainee and asks what they see. The idea here is to get the coachee to identify their own strengths and weaknesses, to see themselves as others see them. Questioning Asking open-ended questions, the kind of questions that cannot be answered with a simple yes or no, is a sure way to have a meaningful conversation. Open-ended questions empower the trainee to find answers to their own problems.
0: Open-ended questions Ask what did you enjoy most about your orientation flight, not was your flight fun? Ask what preparations have you made for the bivouac, not are you ready?
2: Active listening The coach listens intently to what the trainee says and does not say. Attention is paid to the trainee's body language and the emotions that come to the surface. Through active listening, the coach develops a deeper understanding of the trainee's attitude, frustrations, and concerns. Validating Simply having someone acknowledge they understand what you are going through can help. This approach to coaching is called validation. When you were little and skinned your knee, your mom said, Yes, I know it hurts. She validated your feelings. Validation also allows the coach to point out something the coachee does not see in themselves. Story shifting There are many ways to look at a given situation. Through a story shift, the coach asks the trainee to look at the problem in a different way or from someone else's perspective. Story shifts help people realize that there is more to an issue than they may first realize. Addressing fears Fear can stop a person from moving forward. Fear is the reason people resist trying new things. A coach can help the trainee identify their fears and face them. Finding the bottom line Some problems are so overwhelming we don't know where to begin. Even describing the problem can take more energy than we have. Through the bottom line approach, a coach helps the coachee express the problem in one or two simple sentences. The idea here is that a problem cannot be overcome until the trainee is able to define it precisely using everyday language. Providing direct feedback The coach gives feedback about something the trainee is doing. To be effective, feedback needs to be positive, constructive, serving a meaningful purpose, and specific, with some concrete examples. After the coach provides feedback, the trainee is asked to change how they're doing their job. Follow-up The fourth and final step in the coaching process is the follow-up. Giving and receiving feedback is a critical part of coaching. Effective coaching includes follow-up that monitors how well the trainee is doing. Follow-up allows the coach to praise the trainee for working hard. It is also an opportunity to identify the next challenge that coach and trainee want to work on together.
5: To review, the coaching techniques discussed were mirroring, questioning, active listening, validating, story shifting, addressing fears, fighting the bottom line, providing direct feedback.
2: Supervision and Constructive Discipline Objectives 15. Defend the idea that trust and fairness are cornerstones of supervision. 16. Define the term punishment. 17. Explain what constructive discipline is. 18. Discuss principles of constructive discipline. One duty of a leader is to supervise the team, to ensure its members meet the standards. To supervise means to observe and direct people in fulfillment of the mission. What principles guide leaders in their capacity as supervisors? The Need for Wisdom Everyone agrees that being fair is a virtue. But distinguishing between fair and unfair requires wisdom. A leader's decisions about fairness will be open to debate and second guessing. When I was a young coach, football's bear, Bryant reflected, I used to say, treat everybody alike. That's bull. Treat everybody fairly. Bryant would have us believe everyone on his team is alike in that each is a football player, but each player has his own unique abilities and needs. Each comes from different circumstances, each responds to the coach's leadership in his own way. The concept of fairness asks leaders to treat things that are alike in the same way. However, knowing which things are alike and which are unalike is a judgment call requiring wisdom. The Trusting and Fair Supervisor Trust Trust is a cornerstone of supervision. It would be impossible for a leader to unblinkingly supervise every team member all day long. You must trust and believe in people, wrote playwright Anton Chekhov, or life becomes impossible. After all, a supervisor is a servant leader, not a police officer waiting to catch a thug doing something illegal. Fairness Likewise, fairness is a second cornerstone of supervision. Fairness means following an impartial set of rules and applying them equally to everyone. Fairness means not playing favorites. When team members believe they are being treated unfairly, they will be less willing to cooperate with their leaders. It is particularly challenging for a cadet and CO to lead fairly because among their subordinates might be their brother, sister, or best friend. Cadet NCOs have to work extra hard to avoid even the appearance of treating fellow cadets unfairly. The Need for Wisdom Everyone agrees that being fair is a virtue, but distinguishing between fair and unfair requires wisdom. A leader's decisions about fairness will be open to debate and second-guessing. When I was a young coach, football's Bear Bryant reflected, I used to say, Treat everybody alike. That's bull. Treat everybody fairly. Bryant would have us believe everyone on his team is alike in that each is a football player, but each player has his own unique abilities and needs. Each comes from different circumstances. Each responds to the coach's leadership in his own way. The concept of fairness asks leaders to treat things that are alike in the same way. However, knowing which things are alike and which are unalike is a judgment call requiring wisdom. The Constructive Disciplinarian In our culture, many confuse discipline with punishment. Recall that in Chapter 1, we showed how the word discipline can be traced to the word disciple, which is a person who follows the instructions of their teacher. In contrast, punishment is a negative consequence. Given the choice between punishment and being left alone, you'll choose to be left alone and skip the punishment. Therefore, punishment teaches someone only what behaviors to avoid. It does not teach someone what they actually should be doing. Constructive discipline is a learning process that provides an opportunity for positive growth. Leaders apply constructive discipline when followers are able but unwilling to meet the leader's standards. The goal is not necessarily to punish someone but get them back on course so they meet the standards. Discipline then can be positive. How do leaders apply constructive discipline? Know that ability differs from willingness. An airman walks past the squadron commander while outdoors without saluting. Is that failure a result of the airman not knowing the standard? Or, does the failure suggest the airman is unwilling to show respect for the officer? Before beginning to apply constructive discipline, the leader first needs to verify the facts. There are many reasons for people to fall short of a standard. Perhaps they are confused and need extra training. Maybe their trainer did not do a good job explaining the subject. Once again, the leader would do well to remember that trust and fairness are at the heart of being a good supervisor. Praise in public, correct in private This is one of the fundamental laws of leadership. Most of us are pleased to receive praise in front of our peers, but who enjoys being reprimanded before an audience? A public dressing down is more apt to breed resentment than improvement. Sincere appreciation for a job well done is an easy, cheap, and amazingly effective form of motivation. Public praise also reinforces good behavior. It fosters a healthy sense of competition. When you are praised for doing a good job, your teammates will want to do likewise.
0: Praise in public. Most people like being recognized for their hard work. A handshake and congratulations given in front of the whole team goes a long way, especially in a volunteer organization like CAP.
2: Choose the right time. Some leaders are like the ostrich. They stick their heads in the sand and hope problems go away. The longer a leader waits to use constructive discipline, the worse the problem becomes. Constructive discipline must take place when the problem behavior is still fresh in the follower's and the leader's mind. Would you feel helped by a leader who delayed telling you that you were doing something wrong? Would you respect a leader who stored up your shortcomings and fired them at you weeks or months after they happened? If leaders step in to correct people right away, they can calmly deal with one problem at a time before the situation gets out of control. Control Emotions When disciplining a subordinate, a leader stays calm. When angry, count to ten before you speak, advises Thomas Jefferson. If very angry, a hundred. But when a capable follower chooses not to respect the team's rules and standards, it is appropriate for a leader to change their demeanor, their outward attitude. The experts say it is time to raise the emotional content to a moderate level. What does that mean? The smile disappears from the leader's face. Their tone of voice signals that their message is important. The leader stands up straight and looks the person in the eye the leader might let what they've said sink in with a few moments of silence. It's a time to be serious. On the other hand, constructive discipline does not involve shouting or getting angry. The leader never loses control. No attempt is made to frighten, intimidate, or humiliate the other person. Emotions show people what we are feeling. Going from an everyday attitude to a no-nonsense stance signals a change in the leader's attitude. That change also teaches followers that they need to make some changes as well. Focus on performance. Leaders are not bullies. To keep constructive discipline positive, leaders focus on performance. They don't attack their people personally. For example, a leader may say, your repeated failure to get a haircut is unacceptable. Work debts and we are to wear the uniform properly. But a leader would not say, I hate you because you're a long-haired scrub. For criticism to be constructive, it must be specific, precise. It is no time for generalities. Effective supervisors focus on performance. They criticize bad behavior and inanimate objects, not the offending individual. How to
4: make a disciplined sandwich. Imagine constructing your performance feedback the way you would a grilled cheese sandwich. Your sandwich has a bottom slice of bread, cheese, and bread again. Your message should be positive feedback. Constructive criticism, positive feedback. An example Get Curry, you've been doing a great job with your uniform. I can tell you're proud to wear it. Your appearance brings credit to our squadron. But I'm concerned about your frequent swearing. That doesn't bring credit to our team. We've talked about this before and you told me you know that's not acceptable. If you're to remain an element leader, we absolutely need you to lead by example. No more swearing. Is that understood? Good. Now keep working hard. You've got tons of potential and I want you to succeed.
2: Motivation. Objectives. 19. Define motivation. 20. Explain why leaders must understand what motivates their people. 21. Distinguish between intrinsic and extrinsic rewards. 22. Defend the idea that the key to motivation is to communicate a shared purpose. 23. Defend the idea that leading volunteers is more challenging than leading paid employees. Why did you join CAP? Why have you remained a cadet? Why are you reading this book when you could be spending your time doing something else? Motivation is the reason for an action. Motivation is that which gives purpose and direction to a behavior. In short, motivation is your why. A person's why, their motivation is their strong reason for desiring something. It is not the thing they desire, but the inspiration for it. For example, a cadet may desire a pilot's license. Why? The sheer thrill of flying may be their motivation. Another cadet may desire to become a lawyer. Why? Perhaps the cadet knows most lawyers are paid well and money is their motivation. Talent is different from motivation. Someone may have enormous potential for success, but if they aren't motivated, they won't perform well. In contrast, someone who is motivated to do something is apt to stick with that task, even when it becomes difficult. Leaders are concerned with motivation because it is what answers the question why should I pursue this goal? Leaders who understand what motivates their people are apt to get them to fulfill the team's goals. Sources of motivation What motivates people? The list never stops money, power, peer pressure, revenge, honors, fame, fear, competition, a sense of belonging, a desire to make a difference, prestige, hunger, a tough challenge, pride, personal achievement, status. This is a list that never ends. If a motivational leader is someone who can convince you to achieve the
1: impossible, then Richard Simmons is world-class. Simmons, the clown prince of fitness, is so flamboyant that some people are initially turned off by his special brand of charisma. But he has an incredible talent for using laughter, outrageous costumes, and a wacky enthusiasm to connect with overweight people, many of whom are crippled by low self-esteem. Simmons inspires people to change. The man overflows with hope. I was handicapped all my life until I lost weight, he said. I was always the first in line for lunch and the last to be chosen for sports. I know how it feels. As a weird fat kid growing up in New Orleans, Simmons was an easy target for bullies. But after an anonymous person left him a note reading, fat people die young, please don't die, Simmons found his inspiration. He changed his life and decided to help others follow his lead. Of special interest to Simmons are people who are morbidly obese, the heaviest of the heavy. Every day, he personally calls or emails dozens of people who terribly despair about their poor health. Most of these people have rejected pleas from their family, friends, and doctors, but somehow Simmons' deep sincerity and unique personality enables him to change lives. While experts debate solutions to America's obesity epidemic, Simmons' focus is simple, motivation. Where we have missed the boat is the tapestry of motivation, eating and exercise, he says, people ask me, how many days do you exercise? I ask them, how many days do you eat? Having helped Americans lose over 3 million pounds of fat, Richard
2: Simmons is arguably one of the all-time great motivational leaders. Psychologists loosely group motivators into two groups. Intrinsic rewards are motivators at work within you. They drive you to do something because of how they make you feel. Maybe you go cycling just for the fun of it. Maybe you rake the leaves in your grandmother's yard, not because someone assigned you that chore, but because you simply want to help. The incredible amount of energy volunteers devote to community service shows how powerful intrinsic motivation can be. Extrinsic rewards are motivators at work outside of you. They drive you to act because you receive something tangible in return. A paycheck is an external motivator. An employee works hard and at the end of the week is rewarded with money. From the leader's perspective, one shortcoming of extrinsic rewards is they can focus followers on the rewards, the money, the job title, the trophy, and not on the mission. Stop providing the reward and the follower may stop work on the mission.
3: Toolkit for motivating volunteers. Some tools for intrinsic motivation.
5: Allow the cadet to make a difference. Build esprit de corps. Help the cadet achieve a personal goal, such as an academy appointment.
3: Some Tools for Extrinsic Motivation
5: Publicly Praise the Cadet Award the Cadet a Certificate, Trophy, or Ribbon Promote the Cadet Assign a Cadet to a Prestigious Staff Position
2: Shared Purpose The key to motivation is to communicate a strong sense of shared purpose. Leaders can motivate people by linking the team's mission with each individual's long-term goals. The most effective leaders try to motivate by gaining agreement, by appealing to shared values, by appealing to the follower's sense of what is right and what needs to be done. Leadership in a Volunteer Organization Nowhere is the need to motivate by appealing to shared values more apparent than in a volunteer organization like CAP. Volunteers help perform the mission simply because they want to. They find something worthwhile, some intrinsic reward in their volunteer work. If volunteers are unhappy, if they do not see how their personal goals align with the volunteer organization's goals, They can vote with their feet and leave the organization. In theory, paid employees can always leave their jobs, but that is often an impractical choice because the employees need their paychecks. Therefore, there's a greater need to meet people's needs and to lead with a shared purpose in mind in a volunteer organization. Compared with leaders of paid employees, volunteer leaders will find fewer extrinsic rewards in their toolkit. After all, leaders of volunteers cannot pay people more. When money is not available as a motivator a leader has to work harder in finding other ways to influence people. CP cadets have an edge in their leadership training because they are learning to lead in a tough setting, a volunteer organization.
0: One hero among thousands. How long have you been in CAP? Colonel Ben Stone was in Longer. At the time of his death in 2009, Colonel Stone boasted the record for the longest continuous service to CAP, 68 years. As a founding member of CAP, Colonel Stone trained our sub during World War II. He went on to serve in nearly every imaginable position, but the cadets were his biggest love. The young men and women in the cadet corps of CAP are our future leaders and need help in understanding their role in leading our country, he said. But did he make a difference? America's first astronaut thought so, for Colonel Stone gave Alan Shepard his first flight in an airplane. A self-described 100% patriot who loves my God, my country, and my family, Colonel Stone, like so many other CAP members, lived the core value of volunteer service. He was just one of the thousands of volunteer heroes motivated to serve despite never receiving a paycheck.
2: The NCO – Officer Relationship Objectives 24. Compare and contrast the duties common to NCOs and officers 25. Identify the three levels at which leadership is practiced 26. Identify the three levels of leadership skill. 27. Describe ways leaders can effectively support their boss. The lesson of the chain of command is that everyone has a boss. As discussed in Chapter 1, even the president answers to the American people. Likewise, although NCOs find themselves in leadership roles, they remain accountable to their superiors. What can be said of the NCO-officer relationship?
4: Roles of the NCO Focus on short-term needs of individual cadets and a small team. Ensure people comply with policies, rules, and standards. Train people to do their jobs. Fulfill the goals of the team, carry out activity plans, and develop a sense of teamwork. NCOs get the job done.
1: Roles of the Officer. Focus on long-term needs of the whole team or teams of teams. Establish policies, rules, and standards. Assign people to the right jobs. Set goals for the team, plan activities, and organize a team of leaders. Create the conditions necessary for the team to
2: succeed. The Leadership Matrix The skills a leader needs depends on the level they are leading at. For example, a sergeant who often works one-on-one with airmen needs outstanding people skills. A general who leads a massive organization still needs people skills, but sophisticated planning and organizational skills are even more important. The Air Force uses a matrix to illustrate that as the level of leadership changes, so do the skills required.
5: Matrix Figure Description The left y axis is labeled leadership skills and from bottom to top reads tactical, operational, and strategic. The X-axis is labeled leadership skills. The right Y-axis is labeled rank, and it goes from cadet airman to four-star general at the top. The lower left area of the matrix primarily in the tactical arena with lower leadership skill and rank, is labeled personal. The top right of the matrix, primarily in the strategic arena with higher leadership skill and rank, is labeled institutional. The diagonal area between these two is labeled people slash team.
2: Leadership Arenas Strategic The strategic arena is the highest level of leadership. Strategic leaders have responsibility for large organizations. They focus on the long-term health of the institution. As such, strategic leaders are rarely involved in day-to-day operations. Using search and rescue as our example, strategic leaders ensure the organization has purchased the right type of aircraft. They see to it that the institution has the funding it needs to succeed. They try to imagine what challenges the organization will be facing in 5 or 10 years. Operational The operational arena is the middle level of leadership. The challenges a leader faces here involve organizing and directing tactical-level leaders. They coordinate the minute details of the tactical teams performing the mission. They are mill managers who bridge the gap between the tactical and strategic. For example, in search and rescue, the mission-based staff organizes people into air crews and assigns them to search certain areas. Tactical The tactical arena is the lowest level of leadership. The challenges a leader faces here are immediate, small in scale, and relate to everyday tasks. That is not to say leadership at the tactical level is unimportant. On the contrary, it is where the rubber meets the road. Tactical leaders are first-line supervisors who help the people who directly accomplish the mission. For example, the pilot leading an aircrew on a search mission is leading at the tactical level. Leadership skills. Personal. Personal level leadership skills involve leading oneself and leading others, especially in a one-on-one or small team setting. Volumes 1 and 2 of this textbook focus on personal leadership skills. Team Team Team-level leadership skills involve leading large teams by directing other leaders. Volume 3 of this textbook focuses on the skills of indirect or team leadership. Institutional The highest level of leadership skill involves leading an entire establishment, e.g., not just a fighter squadron but the entire U.S. Air Force. Volume 4 of this textbook introduces cadets to some perspectives needed to lead at the strategic or institutional level. Supporting the boss As discussed earlier, NCOs are leaders and yet they still answer to higher-level leaders. What are some principles that guide them in remaining good followers? Command Intent Command intent is the leader's concise expression of purpose. It describes what experts call the desired end state. In short, it explains the overall result a commander wants the team to achieve. No matter how thoroughly a leader explains the mission, words alone may not be enough. Effective leaders followers try to understand the command intent. When unforeseen problems arise on the job, an understanding of command intent guides the follower in solving the issue in a way the boss would find acceptable without the follower having to stop work, find a superior, and seek guidance. Initiative. Initiative is the ability to make sound judgments and act independently. Leaders who show initiative do a job because they see it needs to be done. They do not wait for tasks to be assigned to them. However, there is a fine line between taking initiative and doing one's own thing. For initiative to be helpful, it needs to be in agreement with the command intent. Respectful dissent Dissent in a military-style organization may seem contrary to the principles of discipline and following orders. But in fact, the core value of excellence requires it. How do leaders dissent in a respectful manner? First, they use the chain. The chain of command is the solution, even when it is the problem. Second, they argue calmly and objectively. They explain why their idea works best for the team. Third, they are tactful. Frank discussions with the boss belong behind closed doors. Finally, no matter what the boss's final decision may be, a loyal leader slash follower will be prepared to support that decision, so long as it is lawful and moral.
3: Winston Churchill expresses with absolute clarity his command intent upon becoming Prime Minister of the United Kingdom during World War II. We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender.
2: Completed staff work. One truism about leadership is that one should never complain about a problem without offering a solution. Subordinate leaders followers are obligated to provide the boss with completed staff work. In short, this means the subordinate must thoroughly examine all aspects of a problem before bringing it to the boss's attention. They must coordinate their proposal with the other stakeholders, the people who have a direct or indirect interest in the issue, Ideally, the proposed solution should be crafted in such a way that the boss need only say, I agree, do it. To do otherwise is to burden the boss's limited time. The principles of completed staff work are the antidote to the complaint. My ideas are never considered. Updates and Advice One of a leader's duties as a follower is to keep their superior informed of any issues he or she would want to know about. This requires judgment. Does my boss need to know about this news? Will my boss's superiors ask him or her about this issue? Would my boss want to discuss this issue before one of his subordinates acts? No leader wants to be surprised by bad news or find out about it secondhand. Likewise, one role of a leader is to provide advice and direction. leader followers should remember that their superior is a resource for advice on how to approach the challenges they are facing. When learning how to be a leader who works for yet another leader, the core values continue to be guideposts do what is right and the boss will support you forget integrity service excellence or respect and the boss will lose confidence in your ability to lead yourself let alone others
0: keeping the boss informed the checkride system when a responsible leader accepts a challenge he or she will keep the boss informed as to how the project is going no one likes surprises The boss will want to see that the project is proceeding as they envisioned. If you show your boss that you're making progress in getting the job done and heed the boss's advice and redirection, you're sure to build trust. This timeline shows how cadet staff can enjoy some freedom as they plan projects on their own while still keeping their boss informed. Here's an example of the checkride system. Two weeks prior. 1. Assignment. A senior or experienced cadet officer meets with the cadet to discuss goals and vision for the class or activity. 2 preparation. Det begins to do some thinking and finds and personalizes a lesson plan. Cadets should rely on published lesson plans versus original work. One week prior. 3. Check ride. Debt presents their ideas in depth to the get officer or senior who provides mentoring and quality control. D-Day. 4. Execution. Debt leads the activity or class. One week afterward, 5. Feedback. Cadet seeks their supervisor's help they work together to identify ways the cadet can improve next time.
2: Section 4. Team Dynamics Objectives 28. Describe the seven needs of a team. 29. Discuss common pitfalls that teams are susceptible to. 30. Describe the four stages in Tuckman's model of team dynamics. 31. Describe the lead model. If everyone believes they are an above-average driver, why are there so many idiots on the road? According to one leadership expert, 97% of managers believe they are skilled at leading teams. However, that expert also found that most people have experienced poor leadership at one time or another. It seems that leading a team is a lot harder than it looks. The team environment. In chapter 2, we discussed the benefits of teamwork. Together, everyone achieves more. We also discussed what it takes to be an effective team member. Now we turn our focus toward what it takes to lead the team. A good place to begin that investigation is to ask, what do teams need to succeed? 7. Needs of Teams Every team has certain needs simply because of the nature of teams. This is true regardless of the team's job or its setting. A football team, a flight of cadets, or a group of technicians building an airplane will each hold certain needs in common. Among those needs are the following. Common Goals A team must be organized around a common goal. Without a goal or a mission, there is no need for the team to exist. Leadership Every team needs leadership. In Chapter 3, we learned that the Air Force defines leadership as the art and science of influencing and directing people to accomplish the assigned mission. Therefore, teams need people who can move the team toward its goals. Leadership can come from formal, official leaders, like squadron commanders or informal, unofficial leaders, such as ordinary team members who have good ideas involvement of all members the main idea of teamwork is to harness each individual's strengths therefore if even one member holds back their energy and talents the team suffers good morale membership on a team is supposed to be a positive experience for all involved therefore team leaders are concerned with morale the level of confidence enthusiasm and discipline of a person or group at a particular time when the team succeeds and morale is high the team develops a special quality called esprit de corps. Simply put, esprit de corps is a sense of team pride, fellowship, and loyalty. Esprit is possible only when the team is effective in accomplishing its mission.
5: Get morale. Leaders monitor the team's morale. In a volunteer organization like CEAP, morale is especially important because if morale plummets, people may choose to quit. Surveys tell us that morale is highest when cadets have well-trained adult leaders, opportunities to fly, lots of exciting weekend activities, freedom to lead, hands-on activities during weekly meetings, recognition and awards, camaraderie and friends.
2: Open communication. Team members need the ability to communicate with one another, with their leader, and with other teams. Ineffective communication among team members and ineffective use of meeting time are the two biggest complaints people have about team leadership. Communication skills are discussed in depth in Chapter 8. Mutual respect. Once again, the core value of respect shows its importance. Team members must show a commitment to mutual respect and all that it entails. When someone plays favorites, fails to honor their commitments, or fails to respect the dignity of each individual on the team, the team is less able to fulfill its goals. Fair way to resolve conflicts. Hell, one philosopher pronounced half jokingly, is other people. In a team environment, conflicts are always bound to arise. The challenge is to resolve them fairly and professionally. It would be naive to think all conflict can be eliminated. Because conflict is never pleasant, it's no surprise that many leaders try to avoid it, sometimes at all costs. Effective teams find ways to resolve conflicts, either informally, such as by people simply being trusting and brave enough to express their frustrations, or formally, such as through an official complaint process.
0: To review, the seven needs of teams are common goals, leadership, involvement from all, good morale, open communication, mutual respect, and ways to resolve conflict.
2: Pitfalls of teams. Teamwork can be a powerful force, but are teams without pitfalls of their own? Are there any disadvantages to working as a team? Teams can be unwieldy. Anyone who has ever tried to get a group of friends to agree on what kind of pizza to order understands that reaching a consensus and coordinating plans with several people can be maddening. Teams pressure individuals to conform. Every teen knows that in a group setting, people sometimes tailor their behavior in anticipation of how others will judge it. Through conformity, the process by which an individual's attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors are influenced by other people, teams can be deprived of the creative thinking and individualism they need to succeed. Conformity can result in a desire to please others at any cost, to avoid being out of step with others even if one believes their teammates are wrong, to fear being rejected by the group, or to avoid the criticism that follows an unpopular decision. Free Riders Can a leader be certain that everyone is giving their best? There's always a chance that there may be free riders, people who receive the fruits of the team's labor without doing their fair share of the work. Imagine if the fire department relied on donations, like a charity. Some citizens would choose not to contribute, confident that others would provide the firefighters with the resources they need. Team leaders need to be aware of what economists call the free-rider problem. Groupthink One aim of teamwork is to promote group cohesiveness, the ability of the team to stick together and become a united whole. But can cohesiveness go too far? Psychologist Irving Janis believes teams can fall prey to groupthink. Groupthink occurs when team members seek unanimous agreement in spite of facts pointing to another conclusion. Put another way, groupthink is a herd mentality. Dumb bulls follow one another to the slaughter. If they know that death awaits, they don't object. Groupthink – How Teams Kill
1: On an icy morning in 1986, NASA launched the Challenger even though icicles could be seen hanging from the shuttle. Just 73 seconds into its flight, Challenger exploded. All seven astronauts perished. Testifying in Congress after the tragedy, physicist Richard Feynman used an ordinary clamp and rubber tubing to demonstrate how Challenger's O-rings would be affected by launch day's extremely cold weather. Aha! Was the senators' and representatives' overall reaction to this simple demonstration? But why didn't NASA see the problem before it was too late? Some historians believe NASA officials were blinded by groupthink, which occurs when teams are very cohesive, but insulated from other people and other ideas. If only NASA had invited outside people to help them decide if Challenger was a go for launch, perhaps the tragedy might have been
2: averted. Lack of Accountability As discussed in Chapter 1, the chain of command is based on the principle that final responsibility for getting a job done ought to be vested in a single individual. Teams, on the other hand, can sometimes represent leadership by committee. If everyone on the team is in charge, no one is in charge. If everyone shares responsibility, no one owns responsibility. Therefore, the leaders who charter teams need to communicate standards and make clear how the team members will be held accountable for their performance. In leading in a team environment, the leader's challenge is to exploit the team's capabilities. He or she needs to promote teamwork to get the most from its members. On the other hand, the leader also needs to be on guard against the team falling prey to Teamwork's many potential pitfalls.
0: Who wants to go for ice cream? A cadet drill team practiced hard every Saturday. For several weeks, they'd end their time together by climbing into the van and driving to the mall for ice cream. After one practice, Cadet Captain Earhart, the cadet commander, proclaimed, Great job everyone, I guess it's time for ice cream. But secretly she had no interest in prolonging an already long day by going for ice cream yet again. Yeah, I guess it is time for ice cream, replied her deputy, Cadet 2nd Lieutenant Mitchell. With a ton of schoolwork waiting for him at home, he knew he really didn't have time for ice cream this week, but as a good deputy, he wanted to support his cadet commander. Well, we better get going. Everyone hop in the van, said the squadron commander, Major Wilson. His wife would have wanted him to come straight home after drill team practice, but hey, he said to himself, I can't disappoint the Kvets and say no to ice cream tonight. So off went the drill team to the mall to get ice cream that no one really wanted. Why? This story, a retelling of a famous leadership parable known as The Road to Abilene, is an example of the false consensus. A special kind of group thing, the false consensus occurs when individuals choose not to express their true feelings about an idea for fear of going against the group.
5: The Ash Paradigm What if everybody says you're wrong? You're given a card with a line and a second card with three lines, labeled A, B, and C. You're asked aloud which line on the second card is most like the line on the first. The answer is obviously C. But what if everyone else tells you you're wrong? The Ash experiments demonstrated the power of conformity in groups. When psychologist Solomon Ash asked his simple question about matching lines, there was a twist. He did not ask the question to a single individual but to a group of people, and everyone in the group was in on Ash's secret, everyone except for one individual who was unknowingly the real subject of the experiment. As Ash asked his simple questions, his friends would shout the wrong answer, as they had been secretly instructed beforehand. When everyone else in the room tells you something you know to be wrong, the sky is green and water is yellow, 2 plus 2 equals 5, or line 1 is the twin of line B, how would you react? approximately 75% of ASH subjects went along with the group. They conformed, even though they knew the group was wrong.
2: The team's life cycle How are teams made? What does it take to transform a bunch of people into a unified team? One researcher, Bruce W. Tuckman, argued that most teams typically pass through four stages on their journey from disorganized group to effective team. This model is so easy to remember that forming, storming, norming, and performing has become a popular leadership slogan. Stage 1. Forming. When a group first comes together, there is usually chaos. Everyone is pointed in a different direction. People may not know what to expect. That uncertainty may make people fearful, and having not yet invested time or energy in the team, its members are apt to have a limited commitment to its success. When a bunch of nervous and confused first-year cadets report to their flight for encampment, they're forming. Stage 2. Storming. As the team begins to take shape, individuals' personalities begin to show themselves. People struggle to assert their personal needs and goals. Some may battle for attention. As these competing personalities and individual needs clash, team members come into conflict with one another. At this early stage, the team lacks the trust necessary to truly work in unison. Stage 3. Norming Now the team is coming into its own. The leader's standards gain acceptance by the team, and the team members themselves set standards about how the team will work together. Because the uncertainty of the forming stage and the conflict of the storming stage is dying down, people feel more secure. They become more committed to the team's mission and one another. The team is more successful. Stage 4 Performing. At last, the group has truly become a team. Performing is the stage at which the team is at its best. After what was probably a rocky start, the team is now entirely focused on the team's goal. Although there's always room for improvement, here the team is fine-tuning its ability to work together. The underlying fundamentals are in place for the team not only to succeed, but to reach its full potential. Team leaders need to be aware of the forming, storming, norming, and performing principle of team dynamics so they can provide the right support at the right time. A different style of leadership is needed based on the team's situation. Situational leadership will be discussed in depth in a later chapter. The Lead Model With so much to understand about motivation, coaching, morale, team dynamics, team goals and individual goals, shared purpose, and more, where is a leader to begin? Are there signposts to help a new NCO lead a team? Yes, leadership researchers create models, easy-to-understand guidelines that boil complex theories down to something workable. One model is called the Lead Model. Here's how it works. LEAD is an acronym for LEAD, Empower, Aim, Direct. L. LEAD with a Clear Purpose The leader's tasks are to set boundaries, explain what the goals are and why, help the team set its own goals, and evaluate how well the team is reaching the goals. The team member's tasks are to use active listening, ask good questions to ensure understanding, participate in setting and clarifying the team's goals, and help leader track the team's progress via feedback. E. Empower to participate. The leader's tasks are to Ask open-ended questions, listen actively, show understanding, summarize what the team is saying, seek different views, and welcome dissent and record ideas. The team member's tasks are to Contribute ideas from own experience and knowledge, listen actively, consider others' ideas, build on others' ideas, ask open-ended questions, and think creatively. A. Aim for consensus. The leader's tasks are to use brainstorming, ask questions, listen actively, seek common interests, summarize, and confront and debate ideas in a helpful way. The team member's tasks are to focus on common interests and goals, listen to and consider others' ideas, make own needs known, and disagree in a constructive way. D. Direct the team. The leader's tasks are to give clear directions, help the team work together, monitor the team's morale keep the team focused, encourage people, and reward people who go above and beyond. The team members' tasks are to listen actively, keep purpose in mind, stay focused on the mission, use own energy and enthusiasm to work together. When new NCOs are beginning to lead the team, they should remember lead, lead, empower, aim, direct. It's an easy way to keep the basic principles of team leadership in mind. By following the lead model, the leader will meet all seven of needs of a team that were identified earlier. Final Analysis In conclusion, the challenge before a new NCO is to transition from a follower to a leader, from a simple team member to one who can influence and unite the whole team. Perhaps the key to successfully making that transition lies in a commitment to that special quality called professionalism. Further, leading a team requires a basic understanding of coaching, constructive discipline, team dynamics, and more. This chapter only scratched the surface. With so much to learn and absorb, once again, we are left with more questions about leadership than we have answers. Regardless having deepened your perspective on leadership, you are now one step closer to your goal of becoming an effective leader. Section 5. Drill and Ceremonies Training As part of your study of this chapter, you will be tested on your ability to lead an element in drill and ceremonies. Ask an experienced cadet to help you develop your command voice and practice calling commands on the correct foot. For details, see the CAP Drill and Ceremonies Pamphlet, available at gocivilairpatrol.com slash drill. From the CAP Drill and Ceremonies Pamphlet, Chapter 2. The two main types of commands, the preparatory command and the command of execution. Characteristics of an effective command voice. From the CAP Drill and Ceremonies Pamphlet, Chapter 3. Command the element to fall in. Command of the element to dress right and check its alignment. Command of the element to perform facing movements. Command of the element to perform flanks and march to the rear. From the CAP Drill and Ceremonies Pamphlet, Chapter 5, Manual of the Guidon, to include Order Guidon, Carry Guidon, Rests, Salute at the Order, and Present Guidon. From the CAP Drill and Ceremonies Pamphlet, Chapter 2, the two main types of commands— the preparatory command, and the command of execution. Characteristics of an Effective Command Voice From the CAP Drill and Ceremonies Pamphlet, Chapter 3 Command the element to fall in. Command the element to dress right and check its alignment. Command the element to perform facing movements. Command the element to perform flanks and march to the rear. From the CAP Drill and Ceremonies Pamphlet, Chapter 5 Manual of the Guidon, to include order guidon, Carry guidon, rests, salute at the order, and present guide on.